you would. Thank you, band, for leading us in music. You guys better put your seatbelts on, boy, because I tell you what, we are not here because of something natural. We are here because of something supernatural. This is not some just gathering where we're studying a book like Oprah's Book Club. We are the people of God chosen before the foundation of the world, made alive by the grace of God, and we get to meet with him? Are you kidding me? Hallelujah. God is to be praised. Acts 28. Guess what? Final Sunday in Acts. How many of you are like, finally? How many of you are like, this is an answer to prayer? Almost two years we've been in the book of Acts. And uh, who knows? We may repeat it. We may go back and be like, you know what? The Lord's leading me to go through Acts again. You know what? Never question the sovereignty of God and sometimes what, what we do. And yeah, here we are. Final chapter of Acts, chapter 28. And uh, I will tell you, if you've never been through Acts before, it doesn't end the way we think that books should end or books ought to end. Uh, we, we sometimes don't anticipate a to-be-concluded type story. You ever gone to a movie and all of a sudden at the end you're like, to-be-concluded? You're, like, you're like, what? I thought this was, I thought I've seen the whole thing. I've, now I have to wait? How about if you picked up a book? Any readers out there? And I know there's a few of you. There's a few of you left. Praise God for the faithful readers. What if you went to a bookstore, picked up a book, ordered a book online, your favorite character, and all of a sudden you're reading this novel and you never get to find out what happens to the hero of the story? I mean, think about it. Harry Potter. What if just Harry Potter just dropped off the, the storyline? You're like, where did Harry go? Would you be disappointed? Would you perhaps contact the publisher or the author and be like, I'm suing you? How about Katniss Everdeen? Where's Katniss? What happened to her? Now, my level of reading is like, Curious George, where did he disappear to? I mean, is he not written on every page of the, of the book and all of a sudden, where did Curious George go? Did curiosity get the better of him? I don't know. We read the book of Acts and we're like, where's Paul? He just disappears. Where's Peter? He just disappears. And what we fail to remember is that Acts is not about Paul. Acts is not about Peter. Acts is not about Philip. No, not everyone has a name that begins with P in the book of Acts. Not everything's about Cornelius. What's the book of Acts about? The word of God that is spreading across the globe, saving men and women by the grace of God, until God says, no more people shall be saved. You shall be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. First to Jerusalem, then to Judea, then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world. The gospel will go forth. The story is not about them. The story is not about you. The story is about the true hero, Jesus the Christ. And all church said, and there's our final talk. Let's pray and go home. No, there's so much to talk about. Let's go. Acts 28. Turn your Bibles there, if you would. We get to look at this kind of somewhat conclusion, what you're going to find out is that you're part of the story, you're part of the narrative, you're part of the work. Acts 28 does not end, it continues. Acts 29, Acts 30, Acts 31. I don't know where you're at in the chapter, but you're part of the journey. You're part of the story. God is still working to spread the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ in and through us, his people. 
Thank you, band, for leading us in music and reminding us of that. Thank you, David, for leading us in communion and reminding us of that. That there's nothing worthy of our praise and nothing worthy of the energy that we can muster up but to speak the name of Christ so that others may hear the name and be saved as well. Acts 28, starting at verse 16, we know from last week Paul enters Rome. This was his his lifelong prayer, his lifelong mission, but even not to even stop at Rome, but to eventually maybe go to Spain. But he's in Rome. This is the seat of the Roman Empire. This is a city of two million people. This is a cosmopolitan environment that Paul is so excited to, to share Jesus with. He wants to share Jesus with Caesar, who at this time is Nero and, and, his, and, his, and all the political uh, leaders, men and women. He, he wants to share Jesus with them. So he goes to Rome. He enters Rome, verse 16 of chapter 28. And he's allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. So he enters the city, doesn't necessarily have the freedom to preach the way he has preached in other locations. He's under house arrest. He's chained to a soldier 24-7. These guys would take rotations every four to six hours. So in a sense, you know, not only was he captive, but he had a captive audience. Because do you think Paul was silent in being chained with these people? You're not a captive audience, but in a sense you are. Lock the doors right, right now, right? <laughs> Look at verse 17. So Paul... It happened that after three days, he called together those who were the leading men of the Jews, the heads of the synagogue, and when they had come together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I'm requested, I requested to see you and to speak with you. For I am wearing this chain, and you can almost visualize Paul lifting up his chains, for the sake of the hope of Israel. And they said to him, we have neither received letter from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you, but we desire to hear from you and what your views are. For concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. And when they had set a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in, a lar in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus, his two themes, the kingdom of God and the person of Jesus Christ. From both the law and Moses uh, and the prophets from morning until evening, this was quite the Bible study. And some were being persuaded by the things that were spoken, but others refused to believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke to you in Isaiah, the prophet, to your father. So as they're leaving, they're fighting amongst themselves. Paul goes, I have one final word. He quotes Isaiah chapter 6. Go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, 
lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I should heal them. Let it be known to you, therefore, that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will also listen. I, and when they had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves, and, they, and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. Circle that last word. It's so good. May God write his eternal truths on our hearts this morning. First point we have, yet, we have to talk about is his house arrests. So Paul is in Rome, and he probably arrives in Rome not according to maybe the vision he had to preach freely, to go to the, to the market, to the synagogues. He's under house arrest. Has God ever interrupted your vision for your life? Has he ever pivoted and said, you know what, you thought this was going to happen? Well, we're going to play this out differently. Has anyone ever been through that before, right? So here's Paul entering Rome and under house arrest, not perhaps what he envisioned for himself, but you don't see him complaining. You don't see him grumbling. Here's a man of, according to Philippians chapter 4, has learned to be content in all situations. I will accept whatever is currently going on as the sovereign plan of God. So he's under house arrest in his own rented quarters, but he's given freedom. He's given freedom to meet with people. He's, he's, he's chained to a Roman soldier, but yet he's got room to maneuver. But 24-7, his every move is being monitored. And here is Paul, no matter his circumstances, remains undaunted in his mission to preach the good news. His room, this little rented apartment in Rome, becomes the fulcrum by which Paul will move the world. Lest you lose sight of how powerful this is, Philippians chapter 1, which he writes from Rome to the Philippian church, he says, my imprisonment has been a means which God has used to spread the gospel. My imprisonment, this, this negative situation, which most of us would be crying and complaining and grumbling, Paul goes, I accept it, and I'm going to leverage it to preach the gospel. So much so at the end of Philippians, he says, not only do I greet you, get this, those among Caesar's household also greet you. Which means the soldiers are like, tell me more. The soldiers were like, who is this Jesus? The soldiers are like, I'm hungering and thirsting for something more meaningful. And Paul goes, let me tell you about Christ. Is that not awesome? It is from this room that Paul not only writes to the Philippians, he writes Ephesians, he writes Colossians, he writes Philemon. The most Christ-centric literature in our New Testament. The very books that we go to, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and we learn about Christ, and we learn about the glory of God, were written because this man humbled himself and was used of God even in the most despairing of circumstances. Aren't you glad that Paul was imprisoned? <laughs> I think Paul himself has accepted it because why? His mentality was, I'm going to redeem this moment. I'm going to redeem my relationships. I'm going to redeem my circumstances. I'm going to redeem my conversations. 
He says to the Colossians, I am an ambassador in chains. He's accepted his lot. And he's not going to let it deter him. He's going to be undaunted. And he's going to be an ambassador in chains. Ladies and gentlemen, you are in Christ an ambassador. And you're an ambassador in whatever situation you may have. Can you say of yourself that I am an ambassador in chains? And you may not be in chains. How about this? I am an ambassador in my cancer. I am an ambassador in my unemployment. I am an ambassador in my struggle with addiction. I am an ambassador in my singleness. It doesn't matter what my lot in life may currently be. Here's what I recognize. God has me where I am and where I am for his glory and for the message of Jesus. Have you embraced that? Because wherever God may have you, God wants you to make Jesus known. Where does God have you that you don't want to be? You don't want to be where you're at? Maybe God's saying, accept where you're at. Realize that you're where you're at because I've allowed you to be there. And your very call is to make Jesus known. Because I think until we learn this, we will have this heart of dissatisfaction. We will have this heart of discontentment. We will have this heart that just says, I'm going to continue to resist you, O God, until you give me what I want. And God says, do you realize that I'm the Lord of the universe, the creator of the cosmos? This is not about me giving you what you want. This is me saving you so that you can make my name great. My renown shall spread across the globe. Will you be a part of declaring that glorious message? Wow. See, under house arrest, two things happen. There's two meetings. He invites the synagogue leaders, right? As is Paul was accustomed to do, he would go into the cities and find the synagogues because these were the people. He was a Jew of Jew, Hebrew of Hebrews, right? Uh, educated in the finest Judaic schools of his time. He would go find the synagogues and go preach Jesus there, but now he's under house arrest, so he calls the synagogues to come to him. And what's amazing is they do. The leaders are like, hey, we've heard about this guy. Let's go, let's go pay him a visit. You can almost hear the imperial death march as they're coming up to, dum, 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 dum. All right, we're going to meet Paul. We've heard a lot about this guy. Or maybe they haven't. Two meetings happen. The first meeting is the one we see here in the verses 17. This meeting is about the messenger. Notice how Paul is kind of clearing up maybe some rumors. He's like, just so you know, I love, I love the Jewish people. I love the law and the prophets. I have done nothing to disgrace the temple. I have done nothing that's going to bring, bring this kind of this bad press to, to Judaism. I want you to know that the, the Romans found me not guilty. There's nothing that's sticking on my life. Like he's, he's, he's in a sense just kind of clearing his, his name. Right? You see this in verses 17, 18, 19. Right? This, he comes to Rome because he's appealed to Caesar because he doesn't want to be left in the hands of the Jews because they're just going to execute him. But what's amazing is he writes the very people that were so hardened and hateful towards him to his quarters there, which tells you something about the heart of Paul. 
Can I just tell you, this man did not have a vindictive spirit in him. He wasn't seeking retaliation. He wasn't seeking vengeance. He wasn't hostile. He desired to see his own countrymen be saved. So much so that in his letter to Romans chapter 9, he said, if I could give up my own salvation so my brethren could be saved, I would do it. That's heavy. He just wants to see them come to know Jesus. What a spirit of forgiveness. I mean, Rome's been under a lot. 11 years prior to this, Claudius expelled all the Jews and all the Christians because Christ was, was disturbing the peace. And I'm going to tell you right now, I love a Jesus that disturbs the peace. Claudius couldn't deal with this, this faction, so he got rid of them. This is where we meet Aquila and Priscilla in Acts 18. They're driven out of Rome, meet Paul in Ephesus. Pretty cool. Well, now they're back. So a city of 2 million people, there's probably about 50,000 Jews, which means there's probably about a dozen synagogues all over the city. All these synagogues come to meet Paul. And he's got no ill feelings towards them. The very group that, again, wanted to kill him. They wanted to beat him. They wanted to scourge him. They wanted to just ultimately execute him. He never gave up on loving his enemies. He never gave up praying for those who persecuted him. Those words sound familiar, don't they? It's almost like Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. How you doing in that area? Just, just heart check real quick. You should have no enemies. You should have no ill will towards anybody. Because if you've been shown forgiveness and grace and kindness and compassion from a God that you are in enmity with, you are hostile to him, you are his enemy, and he's now called you a friend in Christ, who are you going to call an enemy? It's, it's inconsistent. A hateful Christian is an oxymoron. Emphasis on the moron part of it. Amen? All right, so. Meeting number two has to do with the message. We're good. My wife's like, you need Kleenex? Nope. I've learned something over the years. The message. This is what's most important. See, Paul is he's, he's, he's saying, hey, this is kind of my journey, but let's talk about what's most important. Look at verse 23, the message. And when they had set a day, so he basically says, all right, you know what, we've, we've talked enough about me. Let's really talk about what I, I've come to Rome to, to tell you. Not about me, but about something else. They schedule another time because I, they, I think they all know this is going to require some, some, some hours. And so they schedule another time. They all pull out you know, their schedules and say, well, my Google Calendar looks like I'm good for this Friday. All right, good. Does that work for you, Shmuel and, you know, Gamelia and all the other dudes that were hanging out, right? Yeah, so they come together at his lodging, in large numbers. So as soon as they said, we're going to go find out more about this, and it was really the sect they want. Tell us about this Christian group, Christ, Jesus. I mean, we're confused, right? That word sect in your Bible literally means heresy. So they saw it as some heretical movement, but they're open to talk to Paul about, which I love. And I love the openness, right? Like, ladies and gentlemen, may we be people who not only love Jesus, but love to talk about Jesus and have an openness no matter who the audience may be. I mean, people, I think people want to talk about substantive things, right? As much as, yeah, it sucks the Diamondbacks lost, right? And, and you know, maybe the, the temperature is not as cool as we want it to be right now in November, right? Really, people want to, they're hungering and thirsting for something deeper, and I want us to be a people that have an open door policy. We're, we have an open house policy. Let's talk about whatever you want to talk about. And these people, and they come back in large numbers. 
So you got to imagine that Paul's apartment was probably a sizable place. That he could accommodate a large number. Look at verse 23. And, be, and he was there explaining to them. Notice the three things. Explaining to them, testifying about the kingdom, trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. So Paul gets an opportunity to kind of set the record straight. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, application right now, people have skewed views of Jesus. We're responsible to set the record straight. People have skewed view, views of Christianity. They have skewed views of the church. They have skewed views of the Bible. We need to set the record straight. In love, gentleness, we need to do that. And I will tell you largely, a lot of the skewed understanding of those things is because of, of, of us. <laughs> Can I get an amen from somebody? Haven't we really botched being the image of Jesus to the world? I mean, I own that. You got to own this. We, we can do better. This is why I haven't left the church. I've received harsh treatment from churches. I've received harsh treatment from other believers. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is not what I signed up for. The world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. We are, we are called to reflect Jesus. And some of us are doing a poor job of that. P please don't make our job harder. Can I call you out just silently? Let the Spirit do the work of conviction. Let me call you out. Do better. Please do better. Because either you're all in and you're fully devoted or just get out. Just get out. Because there's a world dying without Christ and your distorted image of Jesus isn't helping. And all God's people said, yeah. So there's hope announced. Point number two, hope is announced. He, Paul is, he gets to get to the heart of what, he, two themes drive this man's life, and here they are, and it's mentioned twice, the kingdom of God and Jesus. And let me just tell you, these are the things he's passionate about. These are the things that make him sweat. These are the things that make me sweat. Look at me, I'm pitting out already. Like, we got to be passionate about something. What a gathering, what a Bible study. From morning until evening, they are unpacking the scriptures. You get all butthurt because we're here for an hour. Hour and a half? Let's do it. Who wants, who's, is that a challenge? Let's throw down the gauntlet. Picnic, we don't need to go to no stinking picnic. Yeah, we do. These guys met from morning until evening. And what did Paul do? He unpacked the scriptures with these men. Isn't it interesting that Luke, who wrote this, also writes the Gospel of Luke where he ends it with the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, Jesus unpacking the law and the prophets with them. Isn't it cool that Luke says this was important? He needed to bridge the connection with the law, the prophets, and Jesus. This is a man who is passionate about these two themes. He boiled this message down to his own life. Do you find Christ and his kingdom in your own life? Because I'm going to tell you right now, it is hard to be passionate about something that has, it hasn't had a hold on you. Be, what do we mean about passion about the kingdom? Here's what I mean about the kingdom. This is the overriding theme of scripture. 
Genesis to Revelation, 66 books written over 1,500 years by 60-plus authors, men and women, all from different backgrounds, all from different vocations. They write with one singular theme, the kingdom of God. Isn't it amazing that this is found, this idea is found throughout the entire corpus of Scripture? And what I mean by kingdom of God is that God reigns and rules over all of history. And notice I didn't say human history because there's history beyond humanity. Amen? And God rules over that realm. And we go back to Exodus chapter 19 where he says, I am raising up a kingdom of priests to represent my kingdom. We go to the psalmist where David says, God has established his throne and his kingdom rules over all. The Psalms 103, 143 where Paul sa- uh, David says, he has established an everlasting kingdom which, which this kingdom will reign forever and ever and ever. John the Baptist comes and says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Next chapter, Jesus comes, the kingdom of God is here. And Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, says because of Jesus, God has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his light. Whoa, the kingdom, the parables of Jesus, the kingdom of God is like da 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 You think the kingdom of God is written all over scripture? You better wrap your mind around it because it is. And it's to this to which Paul expounded. It is this to which Paul testified. It is this to which Paul persuaded. He's appealing to the listener's intellect, emotions, will. Saying, what do you decide today about the things that are revealed in God's living word? And here's what I love. Paul didn't pull out like the miracle card, like, These guys seem like they don't want to believe, so let me do a magic trick in the name of Jesus. He didn't resort to signs he could have. He didn't resort to miracles he could have. He didn't resort to some mighty act. You know what Paul used? The scriptures. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no substitute for the word of God. Too many believers are out there clamoring for some sort of work of the supernatural. As if... God is some David Blaine just waiting to show up and be like, look what I did. What a humbling realization in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus says to the rich man who is burning. He says, send Lazarus, go back, tell Lazarus to go back and warn my brothers. And he says, you think they're going to believe a man risen from the dead? Miracle, sign, mighty act? They have the law and the prophets. And if they don't believe that, they're not going to believe a magic trick. Do you understand the weight of the word of God that God has given to us? The greatest revelation of his heart, his mind, his desire, his will, his purpose is contained within this book. And that this is the very thing we neglect This is the very thing we refuse to go and be accountable to and submit to and fall under the authority of. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's no word of God, there's no work of God. And we're living in a famine of the word of God in our land. People just want emotional highs. They want spiritual feel-goods. They want someone to do a miracle. Oh, speak a word of prophecy over me. Do a miracle, cure me of my cancer, and we have yet to love and to cherish the the heartbeat of this love letter that God has so given to us throughout history that I believe is living and active. 
This word is living and active. It's able to divide soul, spirit, joint, marrow. It goes to those inner places, those darkest places, the places I don't want that divine scalpel to go to because I know it hurts. But it's the only thing that can remove this disease called sin. It's this thing that can remove the disease of rebellion and disobedience and hard-heartedness. I don't want to confess. I don't want to repent. When the light is exposed, I want to go crawl under a rock and join my fellow cockroaches under there and hide from the light. Don't scurry when the light is shown. Submit. Paul is expounding. He's testifying. He's persuading. This is, this is a man who's been there. He's done that. He's wrestled. He's, he's been floored, literally. And now he's pleading, begging, believe in him whom the law points to. Believe in him whom the, the, the prophets point to. The kingdom does not exist apart from a king. Which is why I believe the kingdom of God and the king Jesus, is this, this works together. And, and the kingdom of God's rule is established in the life and message of Emmanuel. Which means what? God with us. The king has come wearing servants' clothing, existing in filth, poverty, grime, grit, and he exists among us. And his message is this. The king's throwing a party. The table is being spread. The food is being prepared. The chairs are all getting put in place. The invitations are out. Go. Invite to the greatest party, the greatest fiesta, the greatest soiree, the greatest event that could ever take place in the history of the world. It is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the invitations have gone out. Some of you have RSVP'd. Some of you got a spot at the table, and doggone it, you sit there going, I don't know how I got on the invite list. There's nothing deserving in me. I'm like Mephibosheth, right? Jonathan's son. Crippled doesn't deserve a seat at the king's table, but it's the cripple, it's the wretched, it's the disobedience, it's the, it's the rebellious that are invited. And you don't come dressed in your own clothes. You get a special robe called robe of righteousness that Jesus has earned for you. And we all sit at the table one day clothed with the robe of righteousness because God is a God of grace. He doesn't have to save anybody. That, that's the reality. You're not deserving. You're not entitled. People wrestle like, why doesn't God choose to save everybody? Here's the real question. Why does God choose to save anybody? Can I get an amen from somebody? And we're seated with him right now, 
in that place on high, but one day there is a party that's going to happen, and it is going to blow our minds. And it's a party that is without end. It is a party that never runs out of food. It is a party that never runs out of wine. It never runs out of the DJ doing the sweet disco jives up in heaven. Come on, baby. It's going to be... I know, I'm dating myself. I'm old, sorry. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's a letter he wrote to the Philippians. Because in their minds, Caesar is Lord. And Paul comes and says, you know, Caesar may be nice, maybe not nice, but there is a king who is so awesome. You need to know this king. See, Paul cared about the kingdom because he cared about the king. And we will have no passion for God's kingdom if we don't have a passion for its ruler. There are men and women today who unfortunately are trying to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament. And I use that word deliberately. There is a mega church pastor in our country, tens of thousands of people, and he says, we don't need the Old Testament. We don't need it. We got, we got Jesus in the Gospels. I tell you right now, you're treading on thin ice. When you want to separate the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ from two-thirds of your Holy Scriptures. Because it's in those two-thirds of your Bible that we get hundreds of prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. Majority of those 300 prophecies have already been fulfilled in the person work of Jesus Christ. This is Paul's apologetic. This is the tool he will use because there's no other tool to use when witnessing, testifying, sharing with men and women the good news. You can't unhitch yourself from it. You use it because it is the, 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 the pointer to the reality that Christ was the Messiah, fulfilling all the prophecies, most of them, because there's still yet some to be fulfilled in the second coming of Jesus. If you've never done a deep dive into this, the prophecies, oh, you're missing out. So Paul, with these men, went through the law, the prophets. And what does it say? Look at verse 20. Uh, do, 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 24. And some were being persuaded by the things in which Paul shared. But others refused to believe. Can we go to this next point? Hardened affections. Praise God that he is powerful enough to overcome any recalcitrant heart. Praise God that he is overcoming every stony heart. The new covenant is the promise that he will turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And as you would expect that with every gospel presentation, there are some that are going to be, they're going to believe and some will resist it. And it's almost as if Jesus even foreshadowed the idea that as you go forth, guess what? Majority of people are going to resist the message of Jesus. Right? The sower and the seed. Four, four types of soil. 25% come to know Jesus. 75% resist. But who does the work in saving? Is it, is it you? Is it, is it your eloquence of, of being able to share the gospel? And do you walk away from a presentation and be like, darn it! I screwed it up again. I should have done better. I used this word. I should have been. 
Here's the good news. The weight is off your shoulders because it is not you who saves. It's you who delivers a message, but it is the spirit that does the work that you cannot do. If the heart is hardened, it is hardened because of unbelief. But if the heart is open, it is open because God has deemed that person a chosen vessel for them to give, have eyes to see and ears to hear. Isn't that the good news? Is that God is going to save whom he wants to save, and he just says, are you available? Because a, the heart of the problem is always a problem of the heart. You like that? Write that down. That's good. These are people who refuse to believe. This means it wasn't that they didn't have enough evidence. This means that they had evidence, and they just continued to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Psalm chapter 14, which is interesting because in our, our translations, the phrase, you know, um, there is, is, is added. It really says, the fool says, there's no, this says, no God. We got Thanksgiving coming up. What's the worst Thanksgiving dish you can have on the table for Thanksgiving? What kind of casserole? All right, so green bean casserole. Let's just call it. I love green bean casserole, just saying that right now, which means I must really love Jesus. So there you go. No, green bean casserole. So say, you know, grandma passes the green bean casserole and says, do you want some green bean casserole? And you're like, no, green bean casserole. I see it. I acknowledge it. I smell it. It's being offered, and I still resist it. That's the language of Psalm 14. The fool says, I know there's a God. I see God. I understand that there's the presence of some divine power in our world, but I will continue to double down on my refusal and my resistance and say, no, God. There is not a person that has ever been born into this world that doesn't have the knowledge that there's a God who exists and demands accountability from their hearts and their lives. Men and women, every single day, deliberately set out, whether they know it or not, on a course of saying, No God! No God! No God! And you and I get to come along with this message of freedom, this message of liberty, this message of the fact that what we suppress in unrighteousness and we continue to want to live in our guilt and our shame, he's the God who says, I understand where you're at and, I, and I'm going to love you where you're at and come into my presence, not based on, upon anything you can do, but based upon what my son has done and get to taste and see that the Lord is good. We have no control over who believes. And probably the most difficult part of this is that even sometimes those who are the most disbelieving are the ones that sit in our churches every Sunday. I'm going to call it a faithless familiarity with Scripture. We, we grow comfortable with our theological explanations. We can't defend the things that we've embraced theologically from Scripture, but we, we've come up with stuff that makes, us, makes our life 
easier, comfortable. I, I, let me just tell you, I would rather speak to a group of outright atheists who deny Jesus and deny scripture than sometimes a, wor- a, a room full of, of Christians. Because here's the danger. You're here and you understand the letter of the law, but you've never experienced the spirit of the law. Because how recalcitrant will a heart get when it sits under the gospel teaching but continues to refuse to submit to the gospel? It's a hard thing to do. It's it's why Paul cites Isaiah chapter 6. Who, (laughs) Isaiah 6, was called by God And God said, just so you know, Isaiah, you're going to go forth with this message of life, but no one's going to listen. Imagine signing up for that job. Hey, just so you know, you're going to go out and you're going to preach this this message. No one's going to listen. They don't have eyes to see or ears to hear. And because this is such a powerful section of Scripture, it is used six times in the New Testament, four times by Jesus himself, one time in every gospel. Isaiah 6. You will hear but not understand. You will see and not perceive. There are some in this room right now who are hearing, but they're not understanding. There are some in this room right now that are seeing, but they're not perceiving. Maybe I think that through my my jumping jacks, <laughs> my excitement, my smiles, my sweat, my, my yelling, my screaming. We'll call it preaching, teaching. Somehow that through some energy that I'm able to produce is going to move the needle. It's, it's a work of the Spirit. I guess I got to be okay with this. Because at least some of you have, have, have the hearts that have been pricked, awakened. But there's some, man, I want everyone to believe. I want everyone to have the passion. But I have to be reminded of this truth, and this is true for Paul. Where I am so oftentimes fixated on fruitfulness, God says, stop, be faithful, be faithful. God is after faithfulness, not fruitfulness. Am I good with that? Are you good with that? In a, in a word, you have to be. <laughs> you have to be. The problem is not with my presentation. It's not with Paul's presentation. It's not with your presentation. The problem was the fact that men and women have hardened hearts and those that will not hear. But doggone it, that's not going to deter me. Okay? It's not going to stop us. 
I hope it doesn't stop you. Which brings us to this humble amazement. Just so you know, people in Rome didn't like Christians, so much so that even in the catacombs in Rome today, there's a etching, I guess you call it like uh, 2,000-year-old graffiti of a cross with a man on a cross, and the, the man on the cross has a donkey head because that's how they perceived Jesus. He was just an ass. And there's a man kneeling before this cross with this man in the donkey head, and, and the graffiti says, Alex Menos worships his God as if it's a dig. <laughs> Look how stupid he is. This is. You can see this today in the catacombs in Rome. This is how people feel. About, but here's the good news, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is still transforming hearts. Right? Here's the humble amazement. Verse 30, 31. That even though Paul, citing Isaiah 6, as these men are leaving, fighting, he's reminding them of their own prophet, like, God knew you would be hardened. God knew you wouldn't see. He knew you wouldn't hear. Here he is two years in his own rented quarters. He continued to keep an open house because he's like, I'm not shutting the doors. This is not closed for business time. As long as I have life and breath, I am open for business. And you can imagine people were lining up to meet and talk with him perhaps. This is a guy who's, who's declaring a message we haven't heard before. This is a guy who's making sense of this, this scripture, right? And he's preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus with all openness unhindered. What, what Luke says, not about Paul's final days or Peter's final days, what he says is that the gospel continues to transform lives. And he's using vehicles like you and me, which is the humble part of it, that God would use people like us to communicate the truth, and yet through people like us, God is transforming lives because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's the amazing part of it. God is still saving people. Amen? Wow, from morning till evening, these people kept talking and discussing. They were excited to talk to Paul. They were, Paul was excited to talk to him. What, do you, what gets you excited? I heard recently that people are camping out for five months for Taylor Swift tickets in South America. Five months. That's what they're excited about. Some of you wouldn't camp out in God's Word for five minutes. Ooh, did I just do that? I am so, no, I'm not sorry. Are you camping out at God's doorstep because you want to talk to him? Right? Taylor Swift will come and go. She may be good for NFL viewing ratings, but unless she knows God, she will be damned forever to a Christless eternity. She offers no words of hope or life. Your feeds that you get on your phone, those do not offer words of hope in life. Whatever you're clamoring about, whatever you're filling your life with, does not, the word of God that is coupled with the spirit of God on a heart that's been touched by the grace of God, now, now we're talking. The message is bold. And the message is unhindered. There's the good news. God will save. The kingdom work is not finished. Let me close with this, because where Luke doesn't address what happens to Paul, let me fill it in with scripture and tradition. This is the last point. 
hurtful abandonment. Oh, doggone it, I thought we were going to leave on a good note. We are. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. So let me just tell you, again, Acts is about the spread of the gospel. It's not biographies of Peter and Paul, etc. But where Luke leaves us, we can pick up. So Nero, who is currently the Caesar at this time, wasn't the beast that we kind of know him historically as. Nero actually was a competent leader when he first came to power. He was actually just and fair and had a good reputation. His wife, Popina, was actually a Jewish sympathizer. So that was probably why Paul, under house arrest at this moment, probably around 60, 61 AD, was given such liberty. Well, he was there for two years under house arrest. And he eventually stood trial, and he was exonerated and let go. This was his first imprisonment in Rome. Matter of fact, he talks about this in Philippians. He says, hey, I'm about ready to be released. Get, get, get a room ready for me because I'm going to come visit you. So Paul is released from Rome, and we believe that he went to a few places. He went to this guy's house named Philemon, who had a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus, who came to know Jesus in Rome. He actually came to town. He's like, you guys know where Paul is? And no one knew where Paul was. After two years, the church had largely forgotten Paul. But Onesimus found him, and Paul led Onesimus to Jesus. And he said, Onesimus, you know what the God, that God's calling you to do now? He, you need to be reconciled to Philemon. Paul, I believe, took Onesimus and met with Philemon, and they reconciled their relationship. Then he went to the island of Crete where he had Titus there. He writes Titus because leadership is important in the church. He goes to Ephesus where he meets Timothy. He writes 1 Timothy. He probably goes up to Tras. He may have gone to Spain. Remember his desire? He may have gone to Spain. But here's what we do know. Things started getting bad in Rome. Nero became a little bit maniacal. He became the beast. He sets fire to his own city. Blames the Christians for the fire. Thus begins a persecution against the church. Nero remembers Paul and demands for his arrest and brings him back to Rome. Second imprisonment. Not as nice as the first one. This was no house arrest. He didn't have a big swanky apartment. He was thrown in this prison called the Mamertine Prison. It was a dungeon, a pit in the ground. Paul, from that pit, writes 2 Timothy, his last will and testament. Paul knows this is not going to end well. But what I want you to hear from the words of Paul himself is this word of hurtful abandonment from his very brethren. Are you at 2 Timothy? If, you're, if you need to know where it is, it comes after 1 Timothy, if that can be of help to you. The very last words of Paul, Penn, listen to these words. Verse 1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. There's that theme again. Preach the word. We've got nothing else. 
else, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Notice this. Listen to this. But you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Now listen. Roman citizens, when they were executed, would not be crucified. Crucifixion was still practiced as a Jewish, punish, uh, Jewish punishment. He is a Roman citizen. He is awaiting, he knows it, he is on death row. And he views his death as a drink offering, an Old Testament illusion. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but all those who have loved his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon. Now, here's where the heart of the apostle comes out. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark. This is the guy he fought with in Acts 15. He couldn't be trusted. Hey, pick up Mark and bring him with you. He's useful to me for service. But Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith, he did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourselves, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, this is the first time he stands before Nero, no one supported me but all deserted me. May it not be counted against me. But the Lord stood with me. You ever feel abandoned by your brothers and sisters? You ever feel forgotten? You ever feel forsaken? There's one who will never leave you or forsake you. May the Lord stand by us, even in our darkest moments. He strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The first defense he stood, he was delivered. He was set free. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Greet Prissa, Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eusebius, uh, Eubulus greets you, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. It was spring of AD 67 that Paul was led out of the Mamertine prison, put in the middle of of the town square. In the middle of the day, he saw the broad edge of that sword glistening in the sunlight and had his head chopped off. And his ministry on earth was done. 
But the last breath he took here was the first breath he took there. And God had that crown of righteousness waiting for his, his disciple. And here's what Paul heard. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's the very year that Peter also died. Crucified. Upside down. Because he said to his executioners, I do not deserve to die in the same manner my Lord died. He and his wife crucified upside down across from one another. Men and women who love the gospel of Jesus Christ. Men and women who love the glory of God. Men and women who said no to the things of this world to say yes of the precious treasure that's found only in Christ Jesus. Live their lives as ambassadors. Live their lives as sojourners because, ladies and gentlemen, this world is not our home. There's a king awaiting us for those of us that are in his care and his love. May he find us faithful to the end to work diligently to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with every single man, woman, and child. Because that is the work that will go unhindered for his kingdom in the name of the king. This is what we will submit our lives to. And all God's people said, let's stand, let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Acts. It's been a journey. It's been exciting. It's been convicting. Lord, and we take comfort in the fact that what you were doing in the book of Acts 2,000 years ago in a way, you're still doing today. You're still working out your mission on earth through your people. Lord, remember, help us remember that, that the work is not yet done. The mission is not yet finished. There are still men and women who are far from Jesus, and we are here to help point them to you. Help us to live for your kingdom. Help us to live making known the king whose reign will be forever and ever. Thank you for calling us into your care and your family. Find us faithful to preach Christ and cre preach him in season and out of season. And if it be our lives that we sacrifice, may it be a glorious exchange because we want to live for your glory. Anticipating the words of our Father, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ, who is Emmanuel. And we pray this in his name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face towards you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. Amen. Love you, church.